Well, we are continuing our series today entitled Follow Me, Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus. And if you have missed any of this series so far, I just want to encourage you, go back and check it out. You could do that through our YouTube channel. You can do it through our, our website, maybe uh, listen to the podcast, whatever the case. I hope you'll get caught up on this series if you've missed any of it. Because the idea here is that we're going to sort of uh, put Jesus in the center, and then we're going to take a camera and put those cameras around him from every different angle so that we can get a whole bunch of perspectives on Jesus' life and ministry, what made him tick, why he did the things he did, what were his values, what were his motives, what were his priorities, and how did he make all of that work. And so uh, I want to encourage you to go back and watch those earlier messages if you haven't done so already. But for today, what we're going to do is something a little bit different because so far we've been looking at these sort of uh, principal value things that were in the heart of Jesus that motivated him to do the things that he did. But today we're going to change the trajectory of our discussion a little bit and we're going to make it intensely practical. This is going to be a much more sort of how-to kind of a message than what we've been getting. I want you to get a sense of how your life can change practically as you become a follower of Jesus. Uh, and, you know, the best way I can sort of describe this is to tell you a story. Um, many years ago, I was out on the golf course with my older brother and my older cousin, who were both kind of idols of mine as I was growing up. They're both great athletes. They're both great golfers. And I'm a not such a great golfer. And so we're out on the golf course together. And, um, and I walk up to the tee. It's a course I've never played before. And I put my ball down on the tee. And I pick out the perfect seven iron for this little short par three. And I line up. And I focus, focus, focus. And I, I hit the most perfect shot I've ever hit. And it just flies at the exact right tra trajectory. And it lands at the front of the green, bounces twice, rolls up four feet from the cup. And I am pumped. I'm so excited. I can't wait for these guys to congratulate me on this great shot that I hit. And I turn around and they are both laughing hysterically. And I'm trying to figure out what's so funny. And finally, I get them to stop laughing long enough to tell me what's so funny. And they say, you know, you hit a perfect shot over there, but our green is over there. I actually hit the perfect golf shot to the wrong hole. You know, you know what? It is really, really tough to be successful when you don't know where you're going. And, and it's also tough to be successful when you think you know where you're going, but it turns out that you've chosen the wrong destination. So many people, you know people like this, I know people like this, Maybe you are a people like this. You get toward the end of your life and you begin to shake your head and become discouraged because by the end of life, so many people have so many regrets. I wish I would have. If only I hadn't of. If I had only done better with. And, and there are many people who come to the end of their life with a list of regrets, not because people didn't think of them as successful. They had climbed the ladder of life beautifully, only to come to the end of life and realize 
that in the old saying, the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Well, today we're going to meet Jesus in another familiar story in the gospel accounts. We've already heard from Matthew and Mark and John to get some of these pictures of Jesus. So today, let's find our example of Jesus in the gospel according to Luke. So if you have a Bible, take it and open to the book of Luke. It's the third book of your New Testament. And open to Luke chapter 19. And I want you to join me there in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Again, what may be for you a familiar story. Here's how it begins. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give it back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus is a perfect example of a guy who looked successful in all the ways that we tend to measure success. He looked successful when in fact he was an utter failure. His ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. He was rich, the passage tells us. He was powerful as a tax collector in those days. Not only was he hated amongst his countrymen because they were ex- the tax collectors would extort their fellow Jews. And he became rich off the backs of the people around him by essentially stealing from them. But he was rich. He was powerful. He had reached the peak of his career. He'd accomplished much. But he was empty inside. He had... No meaning in his life. Nobody to share all of his accomplishments with. And of course, Jesus comes along for Zacchaeus. And he changes all that. Zacchaeus' response is amazing. He, look at how he responds. Again, uh, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. He's not just making a a theoretical or philosophical decision about his chosen religion. He's actually becoming a follower of Jesus. He's saying, my life is going to be different from this point on. And I'm actually going to repent. I'm actually going to turn around from the direction I've been heading. I'm going to make my life not about taking from people, but about giving to people. I'm going to make things right and then some because of the grace that Jesus has shown to me. 
And from that day forward, Zacchaeus lived a life of real significance. Now that's the part of the story that you know. But there's more to this story. And we're going to look into that a little bit today. But let me tell you, uh, in my family, we like to compete. We like to play games. We like to play sports. We like to compete at anything. And we like to win. Now, if you've met my family, you would probably say, well, you know, that's probably true of everybody but your wife, Christy. Well, Christy would have you believe that, but in truth, she's the most competitive of all of us. And uh, so all of us are competitive. We will compete at board games. We will comp compete at anything. In fact, just to tell, you, to tell you how severe this illness is in our family, we compete over TV shows. Not to see who gets to watch whose show, but we will all watch a show together. And then, uh, like for example, the show Survivor. Our family, we love Survivor. So you know what we do? The beginning of the season of Survivor, we choose from a hat names and we draft people from the show who's going to be our representative in the show. And then we root for them the whole time so that at the end of the season, if our guy wins, we win. That's how we compete in our family. And um, every now and then, it doesn't happen very often, but it has happened on one or two occasions. Every now and then, I don't win. Every now and then, it's a card game and I get just crushed. Every now and then, it's a board game and I get destroyed. Every now and then, my representative on Survivor gets voted off the island first. And when that happens, I usually say something like this. Well, it really doesn't matter who wins because we're just playing for the fellowship anyways. <laughs> I wish that was true. But that way I feel successful, right? That way I don't feel like I've actually failed at something. It reminds me of the, of the famous uh, Peanuts cartoon where... Uh, Lucy walks up to Charlie Brown and he's got a bow and arrow in his hands and there's a target painted on the side of the barn and, and, and there's an arrow stuck right in the center of the bullseye. And Lucy makes a comment about what a great shot that was, Charlie Brown. And he said, it's actually very easy. What I do is I shoot the arrow first and then I paint the target around the arrow. <laughs> it's really easy to redefine success when you feel like you haven't hit what is actual success. There are a lot of people going through life that way. Doesn't it make you think there's got to be a better way? Well, there is. And guess who is the example of that for us? Da -da 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 -da. You guessed it. Jesus himself. Jesus is walking through Jericho. He is on his way somewhere. He's just passing through. Verse 1 tells us he entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho was not his destination. He's just passing through somewhere, apparently, beyond Jericho. Jesus had some sort of an appointment, some sort of a reason, some sort of a place to be. And he had to go through Jericho on the way. It was just part of the trip. He's just passing through. Do you know where he was headed? If you read ahead, you'll find out that he was headed to Jerusalem. Do you know why? For the triumphal entry. 
the Last Supper, and the cross. This was Jesus' trip to Jerusalem to lay down his life on the cross. And he's passing through Jericho to get there. That's a pretty important appointment, right? It's a pretty significant reason to be headed to a place and passing through a place. He was just days away from the cross and he happened to be passing through Jericho on his way. But for some reason, he stopped. For some reason, he stops when he notices this little guy who has climbed up in a tree just so he can get a glimpse of this guy, Jesus, who he's heard about. For some reason, he stops to deal with Zacchaeus. And verse 10 gives us the reason. Look again at verse 10. Jesus speaking. Here's what he says. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. There are a lot of things you can say about the life of Jesus, but one of the most obvious is that Jesus was absolutely focused on his purpose in life. Jesus knew why he was there. He had come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the reason he was going to Jerusalem anyway, right? The way he was going to save the lost was to give his life up on the cross for us and raise again on the third day, defeating sin and death on our behalf. That's why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you might think Jericho would just be an interruption in his trip. You might think that stopping to spend at least a day with this guy Zacchaeus might be something that would get in the way of this really important purpose. But don't you see? His really important purpose was to save Zacchaeus. His really important purpose was to save that which was lost. That's why he was going to Jerusalem anyway. And it's funny when you think about it, but even secular thinkers will admit that Jesus lived an incredibly impactful life. I'd say it this way. Jesus is without a doubt the most successful man who ever walked the face of the earth. Now, to be fair... There are certain things that most every society has associated with greatness. That most every society throughout time has associated with success. And Jesus didn't have any of those things. You know, one of the great ways that people describe successful people is people who have a lot of money. Jesus said the Son of Man does not even have a place to lay his head. A lot of people describe success as a career path that leads you to the top of your field. Jesus never even established a career. A lot of people would say, well, really, truly, success isn't about money and career. It's about family. It's about building a family, leaving a legacy behind in your children and your grandchildren. Jesus never married. He never had any children. He never had any grandchildren. People would say, well, Success is when other people recognize your greatness and they give you awards and they give you accolades and they, they name things after you. Jesus never had any awards. He never had any accolades until after the cross. Jesus was still the most successful man who ever lived. Why? Because he understood his simple mission. Jesus had come to seek and to save that which was lost. Like the good shepherd 
who leaves the 99 sheep in the pasture so he can go after the one sheep that has gotten lost and is in danger. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And somehow, in spite of all the people who had a differing agenda for Jesus' life, somehow Jesus managed to stay on course. Somehow Jesus managed to continue to make his life about seeking and saving that which was lost. Jesus never got off track. People wanted him to be a political revolutionary and overthrow Rome. But he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. They tried to make him king, but he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. He could have been the greatest professor of all time. After all, he was the wisest, the most knowledgeable, and the greatest teacher that ever lived. But he hadn't come to be a professor. He had come to seek and to save that which was lost. He could have been a doctor. There's never been a greater healer in all time than Jesus himself. He could have been a scholar. He could have been a Pharisee, the most respected person in his society, in that culture, in that day. But he hadn't come for those things. He had come, say it with me, to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. In simplest terms, Jesus was a missionary. He'd left a much better place to come to the place where he was needed the most. We needed a savior. And so Jesus came to earth, became one of us, and died on Calvary's cross. Why? Because he wanted to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, if you've been following along during this series, you may be thinking, I don't see where he's going with this because uh, we're supposed to follow the example of Jesus and Jesus is the only Savior. We can't go and be the Savior. We can't save the world. So how are we supposed to follow an example in this? Well, that's true. But there's still an example set for us here that God wants us to follow. You see... God has created each and every one of us with a powerful purpose as well. We're also missionaries. We've also been called and put on this earth by God and brought into saving relationship with Jesus so that we could pursue a greater purpose. Uh, let's look at this together in the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and let's look at verse 10 together. In fact, we're just going to put it on the screen and let's read it together. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We were created by God with a purpose in mind. We're his workmanship. You and I, individually and collectively, created as God's church so that we could pursue the good works that he had decided on before we were ever conceived, born, or saved. You and I have a purpose that is so much greater than what the world has been trying to tell us our purpose is. So let's get practical. How much thought have you given to what God's purpose and mission are for your life? And how are you doing 
at pursuing that purpose and mission. In other words, when you get to the end of your life, how are you going to measure how successful you were? Is it going to be by the number of dollars in the bank, the number of houses you earn, the number of performances, or excuse me, the number of promotions that you received? Is it going to be in terms of your medals, your accolades, and your awards? How are you going to determine at the end of your life whether your life on earth has been successful? Have you given any thought to what the real deep purpose is for your specific life? God made you. And he made you unique. There is no other you in the history of the world. Only you can be you. Only you can become the version of yourself that God had in mind when he created you in the first place. So have you given any thought to what his plan is for your life? Or like so many others, have you taken the shortcut path that says, I'm going to decide what my purpose is and I'm going to pursue it. So the scripture says, if you're a Christian, you've been bought with a price, you are not your own. Therefore, glorify God with your life. Now, let me be clear. I'm not necessarily talking about a vocation or some tangible goal that you set and you say, boy, I'll be successful if I do this, I become this, or I get this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a set of foundational values, a set of foundational principles that are going to be the guideline for how you chart the direction of your life so that you can live the way God created you to live. Now, the details can change, and they will change a lot over the course of your lifetime. Uh, your job might change. Even your career might change. Your education changes. Relationships come and go and they vary in significance in your life from time to time. Locations change. You move from one area to another area and, and all of those kind of things. There's a lot of change in our lives. And so I want to encourage you, don't limit your thinking to something as small as my vocation, my location, or something like that. Think bigger. The purpose of your life is never going to change. It didn't matter whether Jesus was hanging on a tree outside of Jerusalem, whether he was passing through Jericho, whether he was in Samaria getting water from a well, whether he was sitting among his disciples. His purpose was to seek and to save that which was lost, and it never changed, and he was the ultimate success. The Apostle Paul is another great example of this. He had a very clear sense of purpose after Jesus saved him and called him to be a follower of Christ. And, and he shares his purpose with us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. You can look this up on your own uh, this week. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul tells us that his only purpose in life is to be pleasing to God. That he has taken the whole focus of his life and he has made it all about one thing and that one thing is to be pleasing to God. He says, I press on toward the goal so that no matter what, when I come to the end, I will finish the race and I will know him and I will receive the crown 
of righteousness, which the Lord has promised to those who love him, to those who serve him, to those who finish the race. And so Paul has this very clear picture. This is my purpose, Paul says, to be pleasing to God. And so what does he do? Well, he goes from city to city, preaching the gospel, planting churches. He invests in all sorts of different relationships. He forgoes marriage because of the, of the specific calling that God has put upon his life. That's a pretty big life decision because you understand your purpose. He preaches to kings and he preach, preaches to paupers alike because of his purpose to be pleasing to God. He even dies a gruesome death after years in prison. Why? Because he was living out his purpose to be pleasing to God. And even his decision not to renounce his faith, but instead to die for his faith, brought God glory and pleased him. So that's Jesus, that's Paul. What's your purpose? As Christians, we belong to God. And he has a direction for each and every one of our lives that is unique to us. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, it's a sure bet that no matter how far you get up the ladder in our culture and our society, no matter how high you climb on the ladder before your time on earth ends, you will discover by the end that your ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall. I hit a perfect shot on the golf course. You know how rare that is for me? A perfect shot, only to find that I was aiming at the wrong target. Might have been the most disappointing moment I've ever had in sports. And I've had a lot of them. If you're still separated from God because of your sin, now's the time to lean your ladder against the other wall. Now's the time to accept his forgiveness and make Jesus the center of your life. Now is the time. It's not too late. He can still help you have an impact in this life and give you life for the one to come. But if you're trying to follow Jesus, you need to be focused. You need to be focused on a God-given purpose. I like Paul's purpose statement. He defined success as being pleasing to God. And then he lived his life on that path. And he ultimately heard his Savior say, well done. In his case, being pleasing to God involved being an evangelist, being a pastor, being a church planter, being a mentor to others, being an author of what became the New Testament, being a prisoner, being a witness to kings, and ultimately being a martyr. What does it mean in your life to live your life on purpose? What does it mean in your life to live your life to be pleasing to God? Is it being a godly father and husband? Is it uh, being a school teacher who loves children into a relationship with Jesus? Is it pursuing your talents in the arts for God's glory 
and not your own glory. Guys, this is something I so appreciate about so many of the people at Grace Fellowship. But just today, we've already enjoyed the, the opportunity to worship God musically because there's a bunch of people in the band at Grace Fellowship who are incredibly gifted artists. But they're using their art to honor God. They're not using their art to honor themselves. Maybe that's your purpose in life. For me, it involves developing leaders for the kingdom of God. My personal mission statement is to extend my influence for Christ's glory to the ends of the earth through people. So I invest in people in an effort to help them grow so that they might invest in others so that the influence of Christ would extend so far beyond even my reach. That can happen in my role as a husband. That can happen in my role as a father. It can happen in my role as a grandfather. It can happen in my role as the pastor of this church. It can happen in my role as one who mentors other pastors and trains young leaders. It can happen as one who travels to faraway lands in order to equip the leaders in foreign countries to be able to lead the people of God for the glory of God. Even preaching this sermon right now is about me trying to follow my calling, my mission, my purpose in life, which is to extend my influence for Christ's glory to the ends of the earth through people. And having that focus has helped me a ton. And the major way it's helped me is it's told me what I should say no to. Life is full of opportunities. Not all of them are temptations to sin. A lot of the opportunities out there are good things. But you know what? If you're going to be on track with Jesus, you're going to actually have to say no to some good things. And getting a sense from God of what his plan is for your life, what his direction is for your life, what his unique purpose is for your life is going to protect you and help you learn how to say no, when to say no, and why to say no to opportunities that come to you so you can say yes to the things that God is calling you to be about. How do you know what to say no to? Have you thought much about your purpose? your calling, your mission from God. Jesus' ladder was leaning against the right wall. He fulfilled his purpose. And that's why his last words from the cross were, it is finished. It is accomplished. It is completed. Paul's ladder was leaning against the wrong wall until he met Jesus. And his ladder changed to the right wall. And then he lived his purpose of being pleasing to God everywhere that God put him. And the same thing happened for Zacchaeus, who had made his whole life about wealth and achievement and career, only to meet Jesus and find out his ladder had been leaning against the wrong wall, and he changed it that day and leaned his ladder against the right wall. It might take a radical adjustment for you to live a focused life. It might take a radical adjustment for you to engage in the purposes of God in your life, but it's a decision you will never regret when you make that radical adjustment. Why not follow the example of Zacchaeus? First, answer the call to walk with him. It all began when Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down, for I want to have fellowship with you today. And Zacchaeus answered that call. 
Zacchaeus also turned from his sin. He, he walked in genuine repentance and he became a follower of Jesus that day. Why not follow that example and dedicate your life to answering the call of Jesus and to following him in obedience? In other words, it might be time to lean your ladder against the right wall. Jesus offers you an invitation today, whoever you are, wherever you are in your relationship with him. What will you do with that invitation? Will you stay in the tree and wonder what might have been? Or having seen Jesus and heard his call, will you answer the call? Follow Jesus and experience genuine success. Will you come down and become a follower of Christ? How you answer that question will make all the difference in your life, not just today, not just in this world, but for all of eternity. Jesus is calling. What is your answer? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, as we think about your grace in our lives, as we think about the calling that Jesus puts upon our lives, the invitation that is held out to each of us to actually live out our purpose, our God-given purpose. Thank you, Lord, that all the pressure is taken off of us to define success for ourselves. Forgive us, God. We have shot the arrow and painted the target around it. But Father, today, I pray for all of us that we would surrender ourselves to you in a way that says, my life is not going to be about me. My life is not going to be about my plan. My life is going to be about the God who created me, designed me, and saved me, and called me to be a follower of Jesus. Lord, speak to us, guide us and direct us, help us become people who think about your will for our lives and not just our own. And we'll give you all the thanks as we lift these prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen.